When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Today is Monday, August 8th. I am thrilled to welcome my good buddy, Ben Solak from The Ringer. Ben, how you doing, man? I'm well, Bobby. How's it going? I'm doing great. I've wanted to do the show for a little while, and you are the person that I've wanted to do it with because I just feel like you bring the right incredulous energy to the conversation I want to have today. When I was looking at all the teams, I just look at a list of NFL teams, just kind of how some of these ideas come up this time of year. There was a group of them, I don't know, maybe a quarter of the league, where my first thought, my prevailing thought when I saw the logo was, what the hell is that team? And there's a good chunk of the league that I feel that way about. And that's what we're doing today. Yeah, I'll let Beller title this whatever he wants, but teams with an identity crisis, teams we can't figure out, what the hell are you? That's the general feel of the conversation that I want to have. And this is funny because I sent you, I sent this to you as like, all right, you give me your teams that you want to talk about. Some mm. of the teams that you sent me would have been at the top of my list, and we'll get into a few of them. Some of them, my thought was, I kind of know what they are. I'm not excited about it, but I kind of yeah. know what they are. We're going to talk about about five teams today, and I'm really excited to chew on this. The team I want to start with, it's a team you had on your list. It's the team I thought of when I wanted to do this show, and that is the New England Patriots. Nice. Can you explain the New England, the 2022 New England Patriots to me? So, okay, the Patriots. I made a, a gamer joke on Twitter that I will now make again for all the young folks. But it's basically like when Tom Brady left New England, he left New England to 100% the game, to, to win it in every facet. I won a bunch of Super Bowls in the AFC, and I'm going to go in the NFC. I'm going to do it that way. It's just like every potential achievement in a video game, Brady wants that. Belichick is doing challenge runs. It's where you take like a game and you make it way more difficult for yourself just to prove that you're better at playing it than other people, right? It's like when you like, you know, you were in the gym with your buddies in high school and you were like, watch this. And you like put your arm over your eyes and turn around and then shot a half court shot. And you're like, I'm just so good at this. I can do it with all these handicaps. Belichick seems... I, I, that's actually not fair because it's projecting onto Belichick. Belichick doesn't seem like anything. He's just the same curmudgeon he's always been. But like, reading the tea leaves, it feels as if they're trying to like make a point in terms of some of the games that they play and the way that they play. Like when they beat Buffalo with three runs, that made sense for the weather. Or excuse me, with three passes. That made sense for the weather. But it was also a middle finger. Like it was also an FU. It was just like, watch what I can do that you can't. You know what I'm saying? And so they are a very... They're, they're a, a very frustrating team to look at on paper because when I look at a receiver core of like Kendrick Bourne, uh, uh, Jacoby Myers, Devontae Parker, Nelson Aguilar, Tyquan Thornton, I go, yeah, I get that. Like I see yeah, all the it prototypes. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, I understand the roles. Just why didn't you get a good player? 
instead of just like five <laughs> mediocre. You know what I mean? Like the, the roles make sense. Why is it like this? When they trade Shaq Mason for a fifth, I'm like, okay, I get it. You know, you move veterans for, for capital. It's smart. You're staying ahead of the curve. But have you watched Shaq Mason play? Like there's, there's things that they feel like they make sense. And then when you start to interrogate it and really look at the roster, you're like, this is the ninth best roster in the AFC. And I still think they're going to make the playoffs because of Belichick. But also, I, I, I'm perplexed by how they decided this roster construction made the most sense. You're getting into a very important point here. These are not teams we think are going to be bad. I think the yes. Patriots are probably on the brink of making the playoffs. The Patriots also have $4 million in cap space. They have committed to this version of the roster. And I guess my question is, if you've committed to this version of the roster, where do you sit in the pecking order of the NFL? Because that's exactly how I feel about their offensive personnel. You look at the 11 players, even after moving on from Shaq Mason, you have Owenu there, still have Isaiah Wynn, Trent Brown is there, they draft Cole Strange in the first round. They have Mark Andrews or David Andrews. It's like, okay, that five makes sense. I get how the tight ends fit together. I get how you have every archetype of receiver and you want to play with who's in the slot. Maybe Thornton's there as a speed option. You have some size. Kendrick Bourne's a little bit versatile. But what is that offense? Even if Mac Jones is better than he was last year, even if Mac Jones take, takes an incremental step as a quarterback, I still think that they probably are a top 12-ish offense is the best possible outcome or, a, or an 80th percentile outcome. Yeah. That's where they are. And that's before you even get to the questions of who's calling plays for this offense and <laughs> under, in what bucket are the plays? This idea that they're going to adopt this McVay-Shanahan-esque offense where there's a lot of jet motion and a lot of condensed splits and they're going to be booting a lot. Matt Patricia and Joe Judge are the people to be overseeing this shift. I just have yeah. nothing. I have nothing but questions about not only what it will look like and why, how how the ideas are transferred, and what the final product ultimately means for the ceiling of the group that they have constructed. I have truly no idea the answers to any of those questions. It, it really feels like a lot of how the Patriots are built is just like a series of like practical jokes gone wrong. <laughs> like Malcolm Butler might start a corner for this team. That's a whole and different like, conversation. Right. And like, like that's like kind of funny because it's 2022 and we know everything about what Malcolm Butler's career has been. But when you start folding it into like, yeah, he might start. Uh, Matt Patricia and Bill O'Brien, or not, uh, not uh, Joe Judge, the other yeah, but Patriot it might as well. It's not, it's not yeah. even Bill O'Brien. If it was Bill O'Brien, that Judge. would make more sense than the two guys that they yeah. picked. Right, Joe Judge, you know, might start like uh, um, you have uh, right Cole Strange, the Chattanooga guy. Uh, you know, the, the the pick that was made just to show how much better we are at finding players than you are. It's not actually why it was made. He's a good player, but you know, like that stunning first round pick. He might start Mac Jones, who like everybody when they picked Mac, it was just like he's the next Tom Brady. And you watch Mac play, and you're like, he absolutely is not. Like he's this is like a play action shot offense in Alabama. It looks nothing like the Brady offense. But lo and behold, we're just gonna grab another, you know, immobile pocket passer in a in an NFL that is massively far away from this prototype and we're just going to make it work with him two 235 pound running backs because all we believe in is ground pound football it's like a little practical joke at every single positional group and then you look at it all in in in, in the aggregate and you I do not understand how this team is supposed to work I'm wondering how Mac Jones fits this type of offense. If they're going to move the pocket a little bit, if they're going to kind of manufacture some of those downfield shots through play action, is it going to look like 
some sort of version of the 2019 Rams. But that's a, another question that I have. It almost feels like, you know, the exercise they did with the rookies this year and it was all over social media where they had to draw the logo of the team that they yeah. played for. This almost feels like an exercise where you have Matt Patricia drawing the Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan offense. Right, yeah. And what you're going to like? get something that vaguely resembles it in some ways, but actually doesn't look like it at all. And, and mm. beyond him calling offensive plays, the idea that Matt Patricia is the person to be the offensive line coach for installing an offense that is more focused on outside zone and has some of these principles to it. Is he the right person to do that? I really don't know. And that again, I'm left with more questions than answers when it comes to this team. Yeah. And I haven't even gotten to the defense yet where Malcolm Butler, like you mentioned, who did not play football last year, is going to be potentially starting for this team. Why not? It's fun, right? Like Jalen Mills, we signed him. We'll play him at corner still, even though that didn't work. Um, I do think, last note on the offense, I do think Mac works for that offense. I do think I that think offense so is beneficial to Mac, beneficial to their running back core. I think that Ramondre Stevenson could be really, really good in that offense. The thing about Mac is he's not mobile, but his footwork is awesome, right? And that was what was really, really good for like Kirk when this offense first came out. Was so that, that's exactly that's exactly yeah. the comparison I keep coming back to. Is yeah. it, in, when it looks good, Kirk Cousins looks great in this offense. Yeah, the when when Mac was at Bama. And it was like, all right, they're putting out this just like guy who's a third stringer. Like, what is this? And then he was having the success making these downfield shot plays. He was really, really good at buying a half second in the pocket. He had really, 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 really good feet. And that, I think, is going to be beneficial to him. I think this offense, when it comes through the ringer, will be good. I just don't understand why this is the way we're going and why we have to go through this whole process. On defense, I assume, and maybe this is unfair, I just give Belichick the benefit of the doubt every single time when it comes to this stuff. And you look at aspects of the defensive roster. It's like, all right, the safety group is is interesting. They can do a lot of different things with that group. There are a ton of questions about corner, how Marcus Jones fits into this. Is Malcolm mm-hmm. Butler really going to start? You know, obviously, there's some turnover at linebacker. But I do think they have the bodies on that side of the ball to still be pretty good with Belichick pulling the strings. But this is, again, a team that's capped out with a rookie quarterback contract and are they one of the best four or five teams in the AFC, even if things break right for them? No. I, I think that's my answer, too. <laughs> and yeah. maybe famous last words, and I'll be regretting saying this when we get to October and they're somehow 7-1 and one because they figured this out and Mac has taken a big step and all of that. But it, it just feels like if we're trying to make an argument for why Mac Jones in 2022 can take a Joe Burrow-esque leap forward, like the, the way that Burrow did in 2021. There's no Jamar Chase walking through that door. You know, this mm-hmm. is a group that they're, they're fine, and I understand how the pieces fit together, but I don't feel super good about any individual piece. Yeah. Shout out, by the way, Bill Belichick uh, extending Devon Godshaw and then calling Devon Godshaw one of the best defensive linemen in the league. I Could you pull Devon Godshaw out of a lineup? It's like, a I don't... I'm t- you're exactly right. It's a series of practical jokes. It's a bit that yes. he is fully committed to, and you have to appreciate it at this point. And, like, the thing is, Devon was pretty good for their defense last year. He was a free agent pickup from Miami, and they they, they got him working. In the, you know, they, they play with those heavy defensive tackles, and they ask him to eat multiple gaps. And like, it was there. It, it was functional. He's not one of the best defensive linemen in the league. We all have eyes. We can see this. But, like... I, I can understand how this defense is going to work because I generally understand how Belichick defenses work, right? They have these extremely physical linebackers, right? They have Juwan Bentley. They have Raquan McMillan, who they also brought in from... He was with Miami, then he was with the Raiders. Um, Th- so there they, should they be have- some sort of frequent flyer program 
Like if you've played for the Dolphins or the Patriots, yeah. you should get a discount on the flights between Logan and Miami. It yeah, should just be part of the process. Yeah. Or Providence, if that's where you fly out of. It's your choice. Uh, I think there's never been fewer than five ex-Eagles on Frank Reich's Colts teams, like every single year, and the people who they are change. Like he's got a quota that he has. It's always funny. Um, but I see how this Patriots defense works in theory. Like I, I, I they have the the bodies that they typically have at linebacker. They have the bodies they typically have at like safety. Kyle Duggar, Jabril Peppers, Adrian Phillips. They're going to play man. They're going to be super physical in the running game, crashing and held the linebackers, and then they're going to have these bespoke game plans because they have Belichick, where they're able to just like beat an offense they shouldn't beat and just sit on them for four quarters because they found something that they liked and they're able to execute over the course of a week i get that it's the fact that uh the names have changed so much but the salary cap figure is still so 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 high yeah that makes it like all right i don't know why we had to spend all that money to get here it's a lot of shuffling to end up at this place and it's a lot of money spent to end up at this place yeah all right let's move on to our next one here a team that i had right at the top of my list and that is the pittsburgh steelers so the perfect example of this when the Steelers drafted George Pickens in the second round and Deontay Johnson was coming to the end of his deal, I figured, oh, maybe you know they see George Pickens as that replacement for Deontay Johnson. He's going to be their ex receiver. They don't want to pay Deontay Johnson. They'll let him walk and they'll just start replenishing that group with cheaper players. Instead, they draft George Pickens in the second round and, and extend Deontay Johnson. So now you have both of those guys there. And again, I, get, I understand how those pieces fit together too, but I don't understand the timeline for this team based on some of the moves that they've made, the quarterback that they drafted. Do they mm-hmm. want to win right now? Bringing back guys like TJ Watt and Minka and going to trade for Miles Jack. Is this a two or three years down the line situation? How old is Cam Hayward in two to three years? What does this roster look like by the time a Kenny Pickett will allow them to be competitive? Again, a lot more questions than answers with this team. When you're trying to figure out the Steelers, where do you start? See, I was I was okay with figuring out the Steelers. To me, like I I interesting. I, I got okay, pegged. I got him. I got him pegged. So they made the wild card round each last two years. They made the playoffs with Ben Roethlisberger. The, this this twenty twenties version of Ben Roethlisberger, which everybody outside of the building was saying it. Nobody inside the building was saying it publicly, but everybody you can call a spade a spade was a really prohibitive quarterback. They could only run X number of things, right? Like he just refused to turn his back to the defense. Can't do under center play action. Like it just, that's what it is. He was prohibitive. He was limiting. Like the offense was very siloed with Ben Roethlisberger at the helm. And then also like talent wise, he was depreciating. So they say, all right, we made the wild card round the last two years. Defense is great. We made the playoffs. We still have Mike Tomlin. Let's grab a quarterback. Plug and chug. We're going to improve the offensive line. We're going to add to the receiver core. Offense is going to take a boost, and we go. The problem is they hadn't updated the quarterback software since the last time they had a draft guy, which was 2004, right? They had, they, it, you remember remember the big Twitter thread where, where when Del Curry got divorced, and it was like, you don't want to be out here, man. It's different out here. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yes. That, that, that was the Steelers drafting a quarterback in 2022. Last time you were out here, man, 18 years ago, it was different, okay? <laughs> we were playing by different rules. The world has changed. And so they're sitting there at, at 20 and like, Holy smokes, Kenny Pickett fell. Incredible. A cerebral pocket passer. You don't want to you don't you don't want this anymore. It's different. You want it you want to be approaching quarterback differently. They didn't like update the code for how they found their guy. So they make the pick with Pickett, and to me that's a bad pick. And so like I understand what they are. It's they made the wrong selection. Obviously Pickett's returns in training camp haven't been great, but like taking that with a massive grain of salt because it's, it's training camp. Still, I don't think that's the destiny you wanted to write for yourself was was even if you got like the Derek Carr outcome from Kenny Pickett, which to me was like the ceiling ceiling. 
you're going from a nine and seven team losing in the wild card round to a, a ten and six. Oh, there's seventeen games. A ten and seven team losing in the wild card round. You know what I mean? Like I, I didn't elevate your ceiling that much. The offensive line improvements are the same thing. Absolutely, I understand why you wanted to bring in veterans. Paying Mason Cole and James Daniel is not necessarily what you want to be doing, though. So I think like I understand who they are and why they thought. Let's grab a quarterback, grab another receiver. Let's let's load up on this offense really quick. Like Najee hit for us, Fryermuth hit for us. Like we are ready to to put the final pieces in on offense and push in the AFC North. I get why they thought that. I just think the additions they made were poor. I'm glad you brought that back around because I was going to interrogate some of the things you said. <laughs> you said they improved the offensive line. The defense is still great. Are any are either of those statements true? Those are the things that I want to talk about here. Even if I think the Steelers believe they know what they are. Yes. I don't I don't think I necessarily agree with those assumptions and those assessments of what they are. The offensive line is a really good place to start. They add those couple pieces, they go get Mason Cole and James Daniels. I don't know how much better they are. The idea that Kenyon Green is now just ejected into the back row and they brought in Mason Cole to be their answer at center, that's a question to me. Pat Meyer is their new offensive line coach. The last couple stops that Pat Meyer has been at, I'm not sure the offensive lines have been thriving. He was in Carolina for the last two years, and then with the Chargers the two years before that, and I don't think they have a ton of talent up there. He's so ready to handle the turnover, though. All the changes I, listen, in the offensive line. That's all he, his lines have done the last couple years. That guy is super good at learning people's names. It's, it's one of the things he's best at. I guarantee it. And you look at the Kenny Pickett thing, and I think it's exactly right. The, the argument – and something else you said. You said Kenny Pickett is a cerebral quarterback, which I would also push back on. I know. That's like, I disagree <laughs> with that. It's just, that's what the 04 software told them. That was the lie it told. So if Kenny Pickett theoretically, theoretically has the high floor, low ceiling set of outcomes among the quarterbacks available in this year's draft, and I think you could land on that assessment even if I think it's a little bit flawed and based on – some preconceived notions that aren't really true when you actually dig down into who Kenny Pickett is. If you drop that guy into what this version of the Steelers is, what are you? When can you compete? What is your offensive ceiling? Do you want him to win the job early? Because it seems like he's not. It seems like Mitchell Trubisky is yeah. going to be their starting quarterback in week one. Because no, no, Kenny no, no, no. It seems like Mason Rudolph has a chance to win to win the starting quarterback job, which is just the best way of saying for media and for Matt Canada – Pickett is bad, man. This is not good. <laughs> and that's not surprising to me because when I watched him, I did not see a guy who was totally in command. I saw a guy that was bailing from pockets more often than I thought he was. Any sort of comparison that people made between him and Joe Burrow, I, I couldn't see even flashes of it when I went back and watched Kenny Pickett in college. He is accurate. That guy, when, that, he, when the, things are moving in the right direction and Kenny Pickett is totally lined up. It is pretty when he throws a football. There's a Kirk Cousins aspect to that when you watch him play. Man. But some of the underlying stuff, I don't know, man. It's so funny to me that in this podcast, of like, what are you? We've mentioned Kirk Cousins twice. And, because but I, I think that's instructive. Yes, the leading player in the NFL for dude, what are you? Like, what is this? Is Kirk Cousins. This is this is the Kirk Cousins of Teams podcast. Um, I think I have more faith than you do in the defense continuing to carry the team. That is where of, I was, I was yeah. about to say that. I think for the same yeah. benefit of the doubt we give to Belichick, we deserve to give the benefit of the doubt to Tomlin and the ecosystem they built there, yeah. even if there has been turnover, right? We have right, a new defensive coordinator. New DC. Yeah. So I, I, I tend to give them the benefit of the doubt. But you look at it, and you, we, there are still some familiar faces on this team, right? 
We have TJ Watt. We have Cam Hayward. They went out and signed Larry Okunjobi. I mean, interior defensive line depth was a huge problem for them last year after losing Alawala to injury and Stephon Tuitt not playing the entire year. It's a lot of Chris Wormley snaps on this team. They go get Miles Jack. Seems like the acquiring of Miles Jack might be a sign that Devin Bush is on the way out. Robert Bush, Spillane, and Miles Jack have been rotating snaps during training camp. And I think that's a bad sign for Devin Bush based on the way that he's played. Minka Fitzpatrick is still there, now on a huge extension. Another thing that's kind of had some question marks for me. It's like, all right, you're just paying all these players. Like these, I would pay Minka Fitzpatrick too, but they're extending a lot of guys. Like they're kind of locking themselves into this, into this version of the roster. And that's okay. These are good players, but just adds to this murky feel to me. The one thing I will say, you feel good about the corners on this team? Feel good about Levi Wallace and Akello Weatherspoon? I'm not sure I do. Listen, the card carrying member of Levi Wallace is underrated and it should have always been the Bills corner too fan club which is like three of us it's me Derek class and a football outsiders and like i don't know probably nate or something i like levi they like trey norwood a lot in the building i know their seventh round pick uh okay. and they hope that, that he's he's able to, to play inside and out for them because i think cam sutton who usually plays the slot for them is also pretty good i think between yeah, cam sutton's a good player levi sutton and norwood and also akello you feel good about how well you're going to cover wide receivers two through four you do play in a division in which Jamar Chase is present. And I think the who covers the wide receiver ones question is is very uh, uh, preeminent. However, that's been a problem for them that they've worked around. It's not like Joe Hayden was locking dudes up when he was here. You know what I'm saying? They've kind of, I think, had an issue of having to deal with start receivers and found ways to do that with a lot of safety help. The safety room is sick. Uh, Terrell Edmonds, what he is. Like, he didn't pan out the way you'd like for a first-round pick, too, but they know what his skill set is. They know how to use him. He's an absolute bullet. You have Minka, and then they got DeMonte KZ, which, when KZ is healthy... He's a starting caliber player. It's just how many games out of KZ do you get, but he came in free agency. I love how they're built inside out. They're built through the middle, right, through the spine. Obviously, the Devin Bush is a bit of a limited player, but like that interior and that safety group causes so, so, so much trouble for an opposing offense that it allows them to get away with some stuff in coverage otherwise. And then, obviously, you have a guy who doesn't get... His his dominance uh, does not get recognized the way it should in TJ Watt. There is no edge rusher over the last two to three years that you would rather have on a third and eight got a habit than tj watt and i know that because he's leading the league in sacks he's leading the league in tfls over that span he generates forced fumbles he is the disruptor and so they do have also a guy who gets viewed as like he's one of the elite rushers no he's the ace in the hole like he is the guy that you want over the last couple years in those circumstances i think defensively again they get yanked offense being bad but they get yanked into like 500 hanging around in the wild card round again not what they thought they would be, but I understand why they went that way. Yeah, I think that's fair with the defense. And I think I have to check myself a little bit because they do have that star power and they do deserve the benefit of the doubt. Let's play this out. What is the best case scenario for the 2022 Pittsburgh Steelers? The defense is the yeah. seventh best defense in the league, maybe even a little bit better than that. Yeah, you got to believe, offen- Robert. And the offense Five, is baby. what? I mean, offense is like... Uh, 20 between 16 and 20 the one name that we haven't really mentioned that is to me the biggest like what are you doing is the matt Canada name yes because and, we have no idea what the offense is going to look like because any, of that anytime anytime you can keep a man in for multiple seasons who has not been able to hold job down a job for multiple seasons in years you gotta do it especially when he was only coordinating at the college level you gotta get him to the nfl level and then just keep him in the building even though there's just no proof of concept whatsoever and like it's a little bit worrisome because I think a lot of the theory behind Canada is like he mashes the right buttons under center play action motion. Like we got to get these things in here. 
there's a holisticness to that that matters a lot that Absolutely. I don't think Canada has. There's just it's a little bit of button mashing, which to me makes it it's a bit of an empty like, like okay he does the same things mcveigh does but he doesn't do the same things mcveigh yeah, does it's like, a we, lot of bells and whistles different. but the vision is not yeah. really crystallized yeah so i i do in terms of like hanging their hat on matt canada that's where i'm like what are you guys doing like what is this come on uh but i do think like offensively they can be about average uh i think that in a hyper competitive afc north the Steelers are looking for a division that eats itself alive and everybody goes into week 17 at nine and seven. You know what I'm saying? And then it becomes, you know, how, are you going to win these tight games against division rivals? Because while Mike Tomlin, he'll lose to the Jacksonville Jaguars. He'll do it. Watch him. He does beat the Baltimore Ravens in week 18. Like that, that, that is what he does well is he guts these teams through these, these, these nasty divisions. And I don't think in gut is, we can use it another way. I don't think gutting this team was the right answer either. And it was never going to happen with this organization. I don't think it should happen. Uh, The standard is the standard for a reason. And I think you have to believe in that. But I do think that by committing to that version of it and wanting to work through whatever awkward middle ground this is, it's going to be awkward. It's going to be really not pretty sometimes. I think that's what the season's going to look like. The end result, I think, is going to have them hanging around. But I think it's going to be ugly at times in the process. Yeah, uh, Pittsburgh Steelers football been ugly football for my my dad's a Steelers fan. I cannot remember anything but ugly Steelers football that ends always in a, in a win that pisses me off because my dad is like, "Yep, they ran it and they won, baby." And I'm like, "I can't do this with you right now." And I guess that's the argument is that if you can stay competitive this year, you maintain whatever that organizational culture or feel is, mm-hmm. and then next year Pickett takes a step forward, he works through some of this stuff. You walk into the next season, into 2023, he's taking all the reps the entire off season. This is the year where maybe we can break through and it looks a little bit less ugly. Yeah. I, guess, I guess I understand that vision, but in the short term, I still have a lot of questions about what yeah. this is going to look like. They also do get a pass because of GM change. GM change always means things get a little bit like what happens next. You know what I mean? They kind of, how does this go? That's one of the reasons why I didn't put your boys on this list is because they you know, had a bit of a, a uh, change at the top and that allows for a little bit of discombobulation. I, I can tell you exactly what my boys are. They're a team that is te- <laughs> they're tearing it down to the studs. The, the Bears are spending yep. 160 million dollars in cash on their football team this year. Uh, this we is a, a teardown of the likes that you very rarely see. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24/7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right. Next on this list, you want to talk about the Arizona Cardinals. Completely fair. I have had this conversation or a version of it a lot on this show recently. Yes. When the Kyler extension happened, I talked about it with Diana. I would love your insight on this. What do you think the Arizona Cardinals are? Yeah, this is a little bit talking out of both sides of my mouth because I was like, I get what the Steelers think they are and are trying to do. And I absolutely get what the Cardinals think they are and what they're trying to do. All in time, baby. Here we go. Let's go win us a championship. What a depressing version of all in this is. It's just you look at it like, in God's name, what is this monstrous? It is horrible. There just is a total vacuum around arizona where the 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 self-awareness like when they make these moves within the context of the larger league it's just a little bit pitiful like Give me i think an example i think 
68.8 million dollars for dj humphreys over three years right it's like it's like 30 something million guaranteed i like i have here 24 million guaranteed 66.8 total over three years they saved 6.7 million dollars in cap space so they well, you gotta sign, pay james Conner, man yeah you could go get an actual corner i don't know maybe you don't have to pay play marco wilson for another year you don't have to ask byron murphy to cover wide receiver ones in the nfc west anymore but dj dj humphreys always oh, still young it's another three-year extension he had he's had one he had one good season he had a good year in 2020, which is also like the COVID year that doesn't count. I don't, I, I don't understand how you watch that line play that playoff game against the Rams and then go, all right, let's get a couple extensions on this group and we're solid. I don't understand how you can spend all of the capital trade for DeAndre Hopkins, uh, 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 draft Andy Isabella, draft Akeem Butler, draft Christian Kirk, draft uh, Rondell Moore. And then be like, trade a first for Marquise Brown. Also, did we sign Zach Ertz yet? Make sure we get Trey McBride in a second. What direction are you heading? You can't... The, the, the one thing that Cliff Kingsbury was... Remember when you said incredulous energy at the beginning of the podcast? I knew the Cardinals were going to get me. The one thing that you brought Cliff Kingsbury in to do was to get a passing game working. And you have spent so much money on pass catchers. That doesn't make that... You got you to gotta square that. Then... There, there has to be a competitive edge somewhere, right? Like your elite players have to let you cheat at other positions. That's like the, this idea between like wide receiver movement in the league is like, all right, you have an elite quarterback or an elite receiver, and that way we can get a passing game working. You, you don't have to spend as much in the other place because you have this guy. They give a huge extension for Kyler, huge extension for Cliff, and all they're doing is spending money on pass catchers trying to make this passing game work. Meanwhile, the running game has been like actually halfway decent under Cliff, and the defense has been top 10 in DVOA the last two years, and they won't get any doggone players for it. It just a- doesn't make any sense. It's amazing that, that Vance Joseph just has somehow cobbled this thing together with gum and <laughs> toothpicks <laughs> and whatever. And now Chandler Jones is gone, and they extended Marcus Golden, who, like, sick for Marcus Golden, but come on! I will say, Vance has gotten two... I don't, it's, I don't think it's Vance, by the way. They've drafted two linebackers in the first round over the last three years, which we can get into whether that... We don't have to get into whether that was a good idea. I know it was a bad idea. Finally, playing Isaiah Simmons at safety in camp, apparently, which means they are Hassan Redicking themselves again. Would they play a rookie at the wrong position, <laughs> switch him to the right position right before he hits free agency? They're not going to extend him. And then Redick went to Carolina and Philadelphia $15 million a year. They're about to do the same thing with Simmons. I'm I will say this. I. <laughs> This is why I wanted to let you take this one because I've done this so often over the last two months. They drive me nuts. I'm totally fine with the DJ Humphreys extension. If you look around the league and what the going price is for left tackles, he's on a per year basis up in a range that he probably shouldn't be in. He should probably be more in the Colton Miller, Jake Matthews sort of range based on the extensions those guys got. But it's only 34 million guaranteed. I, I think he's, he crosses the threshold for me. Left tackles is a threshold position where if you have a guy of a certain quality, it's probably better to have him on your team than it is to not. But the rest of the offensive line is obviously what the hell is going on. Like the fact that Will Hernandez was their big free agent move. That, that's the concern to me. If you look at the moves they made just on offense, and that's before letting corner wallow in the way that they have. Looking at the resources they had coming into this offseason and what they needed, the idea of giving James Conner a big extension, giving Zach Ertz a big extension, and letting the offensive line just kind of sit there and having Will Hernandez be the big addition that you made. I think a smart team, I think a team that does this really well and understands how all these pieces fit together, look at what happened with Zach Ertz and James Conner last offseason and say, 
how can we get another version of Zach Ertz and James Conner in this offseason? How can we mm-hmm. find a guy who is an undervalued player at running back that can come in and fill a similar role for us? How can we find a veteran that's on the market for a reason like Zach Ertz was? We can trade a mid-round pick for him, kind of piece this thing together, rather than committing yourself to a version of the offense that really wasn't scaring anybody by the end of the season. I understand DeAndre Hopkins wasn't there, but I still feel like locking yourself into the personnel you had at the end of 2021 doesn't make you any better, doesn't make you any scarier in the NFC than you would have been if you were trying to tinker with whatever the vision for this group was. And that, yeah. that to me, is the question, and that, to me, is the problem. Yeah, and Barnwell, when he did his offseason recaps for ESPN, made a really good point where it's like Ertz and Connor, like good additions. When you get into the nitty-gritty of it, right, like Connor, incredible goal line threat, he was below expectation, rushing yards over expectation last year relative to the context. Like, he's... Yeah. A, a good player is a useful player. He is probably a, a role player. And that worked when Chase Edmonds was around. Chase Edmonds, not around anymore. Zach Ertz, uh, volume went up because the Cardinals passed more. But in terms of like yards per route run and target share, he was about what he was with the Eagles when the Eagles were trading him for a day three pick. And now he's got a, 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 a two-year extension functionally because of the guaranteed money in his 30s. It's a little bit like those were good additions. But if those are your headliners... In terms of of, of the, the moves that you've made recently, that's not great. Like they, they are fine players. They're useful players. But they're also like a, a little bit less than maybe they seem given the way that they dawned last year for the team. Now, now that we've talked about the good, the good part, let's, let's talk about what's really wrong with the Cardinals. Messaging. What? what does everyone in the building hate everybody? That's the other thing that's driving me nuts. The Cliff comment about play calling and Kyler late last week was absolutely yeah. wild. Let's read it. Yes, Josh Weinfuss. This is, by the way, in my notes, this is the first thing. It's not any <laughs> details about transactions or offseason. It's just this quote from Josh Weinfuss. Uh, I asked Cliff Kingsbury about having Kyler Murray call the plays via radio on Saturday. Quote, I just want him to know that, hey, this shit ain't easy. Every now and then he starts shaking his head when I'm calling it in there. I'm like, all right, go ahead, big dog. What what are we doing? Why are you saying this? You've been a head coach of a football team for like eight years. You just you just you just got over a week's worth of drama because you were you put in a contract that the guy has to watch four total hours of film, which is extremely pathetic. You have people on Reddit posting Kyler's stats on and off of double XP weekends for Call of Duty. You are in disarray as a team, and you're like what if I just pot shot my cornerback for questioning my play calls in the preseason? There's no need for this, man. It is, it is a a mess of a, of a team, right? Like this is like they're clear they want to be all in, and like you said, like what a just a disaster, what a, what a complete just just uh, uh, a total miscalculation of all in. But then there's just this inability for them all to get on the same page. Like it, it, I would say. A, like a, a cornerstone of being all in is the internal feeling, even if it's not matched externally, that your GM, your head coach, your quarterback are in lockstep. Like if you are in, all, if you are all in, those three better all see the vision and be committed to one another. They are in terms of extensions; they're all going to be around. I don't know if any of them actually like each other and agree with how the team's being made, and that's just what's fascinating. Is the Cardinals were one of the most aggressive teams in the the course of the last like twelve months of offseason moves, roster moves, transactions, whatever, and yet still I'm like, does the quarterback want to play for this head coach? Does the head coach think the GM is managing the roster? Does the GM believe in the quarterback? I'm I'm question mark on all three of those. That is absurd. That that this team is so hazy internally. 
let alone how we view them externally. I think that's totally fair. Uh, as as you were being very upset again, I was looking at some of the alternative paths they could have taken at tight end. That this to me, this is what it is. Okay, the Bengals gave Hayden Hurst a one year, three million dollar deal to come in and and play tight end for them. Zach Ertz got a three year, thirty two million dollar deal from the Cardinals. If you're trying to fill that position and you're trying to think about resources, would you rather have Hayden Hurst one year at three million or Zach Ertz three years at thirty million? So right now, I would say Hurst one year three, given what I know about the Cardinals' offense. I surmise we're going to get some nifty twelve personnel stuff like that. I think that's what they're telling us is that like, hey, because they they upped their twelve personnel numbers in each of the last three seasons. They kind of didn't do it that much early, and now they're kind of getting more tight ends on the field. It's giving them a little bit more flexibility in the running game. And then Cliff is discovering like, oh. I can run Y cross with an actual freaking Y, like an actual, like that's been done. You know what I'm saying? Like he's kind of rediscovering the way you can use a tight end here in in his system. I think that's all good. So I think we're going to see a lot more 12. And if like Ertz ends up being a really high volume player for them, I get spending the money on a better player, even though it's probably a little bit too much for Ertz regardless. But like if it continues to look the way it has, where it's like spread and shred, baby, then it's Hurst at 3 million because that's an intentional and understandable resource allocation. Yeah, even if it's more 12 and that Trey McBride and Hayden Hurst were those two guys, I still Ertz. think that if you're looking at, all right, now I have, I know, Ertz is, cap uh, is only four, is almost $5 million, but you look at the life of the contract, he got $17.5 million guaranteed. Can we do some of that? We spent some of that on a guard? Can just some of it? I mean, it just, or some of it on somebody on defense. And, and that to me is the problem is that when you look at teams, Josh Allen was in the last year, last cheap year of his deal last season. They were in the same position or similar position that the Cardinals are in now. And the way that the Bills look at that financial flexibility and say, I'm going to take 10 dice rolls on all of these different guys and churn areas of my roster that need to be churned. That, to me, is the smart way to approach this. What the Cardinals have done is the not smart way to approach this. Because you look at a roster that feels the same as it did at the end of last season when no person in America felt good about the spot the Cardinals were in. And you have now, I think... The, uh, you also have in the building the concern now that you're going to start the season five and one, which is bad. It is bad to be worried you're going to start the season good. But at this point, it's pretty clear what we expect to happen to the Cardinals after a good start of the season. We've seen it with two seasons of Kyler and Cliff. And we also saw it with Cliff at Texas Tech. They come up with new stuff in the offseason. They make a couple additions. You don't know how they're going to use them. Marquise Brown and Will Hernandez and whatever. And then they get to the middle of the season, defenses catch up, and they don't have the counterpunch. And so you really want proof of concept in Arizona. You want to start the season strong. You made so many transitions. You gave big money to Kyler. It would be really, really beneficial, especially to remove the bad taste of the Rams loss from your mouth, to start the season strong. But even that's a trap door. Because when other teams start the season strong, we're like, sick. With the Cardinals, we're like, yeah, we've seen this before. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, they, they, it, developing good Call vibes me in here December. is going to be tough. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Let me know when the temperature drops, what the offense looks like then. <laughs> temperature has to drop in Arizona, baby. <laughs> Clip you better, sockless 12 months of the year. You better grab that number one seed, baby. Let's sweep the division. All right, next one here. The New Orleans Saints. I understand why they were on your list. I think I'm kind of in on the Saints. I was sitting there marinating in it all morning, and I've been a little bit apprehensive about some of the, the ways they went about this this offseason, and I would never do what they did in the maneuvering they did with the draft. But I look at the final product and I look at the roster and I hear things about Chris Olave and I kind of understand it. I kind of understand the saints sitting there in February, March, April and saying, you know what? 
we don't feel really good about the teams in the NFC. We think that if we can hit on a couple of these guys, we're closer than other people think. Whatever departures happen on defense, we cobble that together with May and Matthew and whatever. The receiving core is going to be so much better than it was last season. That's going to let us open up the offense. There's continuity with the offensive staff. Let's see if we can go 10-7 and 7 and make a run at this thing. I, I do understand that vision in a way I don't think I appreciated at other times over the past six months. So why are so, they here for you? Yeah, so you said continuity with the offensive staff. That, to me, is is the thing, right? Like, if I, like, wipe the name New Orleans Saints from the world right now and I give you a hypothetical and I say, all right, Robert, uh, we had a team, a continual playoff contender. They had an established veteran quarterback and an established quality head coach who's an offensive mind, and they they – for years, just every year, dialed it back. Different offensive line, different receivers, dialed it back, dialed it back, dialed it back. And then that quarterback retired, and they signed a new one in free agency, signed a new, uh, they got a new tackle in the building, they got a new receiver in the building. How confident are you that the head coach is still there calling the shots? Because without the name the Saints, it's like, yeah, obviously one of the two is like they, they 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 would still have the head coach they still have the guy that they trust it's like the Steelers with Tomlin all right there's a big transition on this unit but we have the guy at the helm that has a proven track record we think he's going to hold things down the fact that this offense was so good for this many years and we were all like yeah Breeze and Peyton Breeze and Peyton Breeze and Peyton and both Breeze and Peyton are gone and Mickey Loomis in the front office is still behaving like yeah you just draft some offensive guys plug it in and you're good is bananas we're one of two things is going to happen this offense is going to max out at like you know flamus winston chaos you know kind of 500 team or we're all going to discover that pete carmichael was the secret sauce all along right the saints oc is still there the offense continuity so there's a chance pete carmichael's just the god like and like that would be sick that'd be hilarious if, if, if like carmichael's been the straw that serves the drink or at least like learned enough to now be that guy that to me is awesome but i don't think that's the case i think that this front office mickey loomis jeff ireland learned over the course of Peyton Breeze era just how aggressive they could be on the cap, just how aggressive they could be with extensions and acquisitions, and it could come out in the wash because they had the cornerstones to rely on. And that was a huge competitive advantage for the Saints for many, many years. You got to pay the piper at some point. Rainbow comes to an end. For most teams, that's when the quarterback retires and the head coach retires. That is a sign like, all right, even if it's just for a year, let's reload here and let's let's step back so we can step forward so we can reorient the it, the saints it really feels like hubris it feels like icarus too close to the sun where it's like you 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 it's been great it's been gravy but you have to recognize right now that you cannot keep living the same way you do not have the same rules that you did Peyton and breeze are gone and for the saints to be trading up to get another first round pick in the 2022 draft to draft a Northern Iowa tackle who has not finished practice because he can't stop trying to fight people is to me not great. I don't love that. I'm a little worried about being that aggressive, even though it's worked for them for so long. I, you can argue against the validity or how smart it is to operate this way, but I have no, there's no confusion to me about what the saints are. This is what they are. Whether or not they should be this way is an entirely different question. And the penning thing is hilarious. I yeah, that's fine. Are we? Are we? This is we're in a safe space here. This is the trust tree. I think. I I'm don't just, you I'm, dare I'm, say you love it. I think. I, no, I'm out on it. I'm, okay. I'm just out on Good. it. Like I, I there's sometimes with, with with shit like this where I think playing through the whistle is great, and I think having that mindset and bringing it is great. 
I think I'm out on a Trevor Penning's version of it. I'm just not Listen, into it. If you're a tough guy, people find out. You're telling people you're a tough guy. I don't. And listen, this go. is me. This is all 155 pounds of me saying this. So I don't know. I'm not really coming from a place of expert analysis here. But to me, you don't need to like be chasing practice squad corners wearing 40 to emphasize that you're like a tough dude. You know what I mean? I understand what you're saying about this, but I mm-hmm. still think they had committed to this version of themselves in such a way that they couldn't make a left turn. When you have this defense and you have guys that are creeping into their 30s with Cam Jordan, with Demario Davis, and you have you've already given Michael Thomas that contract extension, you've already paid a huge chunk of your offensive line, you've started kicking the can down the road financially. The core of this roster is was going to be what it was going to be, and so I think understanding that and saying we'd rather try to push it over the finish line rather than going all the way back the other way that makes sense to me. But your argument that. We don't know what the Saints are because Sean Payton was a fundamental piece of how we understand the Saints. That, to me, is the question. Is that going to affect our understanding of them so deeply that by the end of the season, even if the entire offensive staff and even the pieces they brought in, like Doug Marone is offensive line coach on this team again. Doug Marone knows this place. He's worked with these people. They've, they've really tried to keep the band together. But even if you're doing that, it's like removing – some name your lead singer that is essential to the essence of the band. You bring in somebody else, even though all of right. the pieces are the same, the band is fundamentally changed. And I think that's going to be the biggest question about the saints and about what their 2022 looks like. Yeah. I just, I'm I, that you, you make a fair point where probably for the sake of like, I don't understand what they are. It's not a neat fit. It's more to me. Like I thought I knew what the saints were going to be because I thought once Peyton leaves. Like you just have to accept a dawning reality, a new age, and the fact that they're you not certainly is to, don't. Yeah, it's just, it's just. I um, I pissed off Kevin, Kevin Clark, my my coach in the ringer when we ranked GM. Um, I, I, I know like, who Kevin Clark is. Well, I don't know if everybody else listening does. Um, I pissed off Kevin because we ranked GMs, and I was like, "Listen, either Mickey Loomis is one, or he's not in the top 10. Like it's 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 kind of that sort of a thing where it's like you can't do this. So if it works, you're the best. Nobody will ever touch you ever. I don't think it's it's going to work. A thing that is understated, in my opinion, is because like like the Saints have always worked around this well. But even though I know academically that they can handle this, these departures feel like a lot, man. Like the quality of player that has left the building recently in Trey Hendrickson gone, Marcus Williams gone this year, Teron Armstead gone this year. This is nothing to sneeze at. Like this, this these are. Uh, uh, Armstead and Williams went to go be a top 10 paid players at their position somewhere else. These were cornerstones the way you guys did things. Malcolm Jenkins retired, right? And this is a defense that needs good safeties to work. Marcus Williams, like, you can play this much man coverage. You better have a guy who can fly in the back. I don't rank Marcus May like that. I think Marcus May's fine. I don't I don't rank him like that, right? So it's, it's there's stuff that that's scary in the departures. And I know that with the Saints, we're supposed to just be like, yeah, but they handle it. I... I cannot feel that confident with the quality of player that's left. And the last thing that really matters there is the incoming Alvin Kamara suspension. Uh, If you are going to be all in, it is helpful if your star running back is going to play for 17 games. And I don't think that is an expectation that we have for Kamara this season. So now you have Jameis dropping back with penning on his blind side. Who's they still got Ty Montgomery. Is it Mark Ingram? Who's running back to right now? I think it's, it's Mark, Mark Ingram. Ingram Holy yeah. smokes, it's Mark Ingram. Okay, so we got Mark Ingram at running back too. And he's he's throwing it to a, a, a rookie first-round pick and a guy in Chris Olave who I, I like quite a bit, but I'm not sure is like 
I'm not sure this image that I'm drawing makes me feel great. And once I see like Taysom Hill on the field for the 15th offensive snap, it's just going to be scary. All right. Let me play devil's advocate here, though. You mentioned losing Toronto Armstead. Toronto Armstead played eight games last year. You mentioned the t- losing Marcus Williams. I think having Marcus May and Teron Matthew and CJG and the guys they have at corner, the secondary, I feel like, is pretty darn good. I think the front mm-hmm. seven is more fragile than it's been in years past because the depth is not there. But if they can get something out of Peyton Turner, even if I'm a little bit worried about the interior of the defensive line, I still think that group is pretty good. So I think you could make an argument that even with Armstead gone, the improvements at receiver, the depth they have at corner, this is a better roster, and and Michael Thomas being one of those receivers, potentially. This is a better roster than it was last year, and this team went 9-8. and And I think they were locked into playing a certain type of offense because they had no talent at receiver. If things can open up a little bit, can this team be a lot better on offense last year, even with Sean Payton gone? I do think that is a potential timeline here. So again, I understand why they've done this, even if I'm a little bit weary about the aggressiveness and the approach that it, they took with some of it. We're going to get uh, Cam Jordan career season back to back in his early 30s. That's the problem is that if you have yeah. some fall off from those guys, then things it, it's fragile. The defense is more fragile than I think it might seem because of how good they've been in years past. I think Dennis Allen's a really good defensive coach, though, man. And I really do, yeah, based is. on all the early returns, Paulson Adebo apparently looks really good. Bradley Adebo's Roby's back sick. there. They they have excess players on the back end, even after Marcus Williams. You can't say that about a lot of teams. And when you have that underlying depth and that flexibility combined with a coach that I think is really, really good at just creating matchups in the front seven and high leverage situations the way that Dennis Allen is – I have a lot of faith mm-hmm. that the defense is going to be really good again, even if one or two injuries can kind of send them astray in a way that I don't think people are appreciating. Yeah. For as suspicious as I am about the continued flying in the face of any laws of money or man that the Saints continue to exercise, I am not interested in betting against Dennis Allen with like Demario Davis and Cam Jordan and C.J. Gardner-Johnson and Marshawn Lattimore and like that. I think that... I guess yeah, like that P. Defense. Warner played well last year. And like I think Zach Bond's yeah. going to have a bigger role this year. They've just been such a good incubator of defensive Man, talent over the so last five years. it's so irritating to be like this anti-Mickey Loomis. Not anti, but like like question the way that he's he's been approaching building the team. And also just be reminded that every single defensive player that I've ever liked over the last four drafts, he's, he's selected. Chauncey was the absolute man. Paulson was so freaking good. Pete Warner was awesome. Zach Bond was amazing. Like they just... He just he knows he and Allen and that that front office to to DC and now head coach nucleus. They know how to understand and evaluate and get in defensive talent. Like they they are in lockstep in terms of what they need and how to get it and how to identify it. Teron Matthew, I'm worried that they signed the what they think is the 2019 version of Teron Matthew. I'm worried that's not around anymore. But other than that, like they continue to just bring in guys who just so clearly make sense and are, are quality talents outside of the first round. And I guess if you can just draft out of your mind every single year then you get to be flagrant with the cap and it doesn't really matter um well they don't draft out of their mind every single year and i think that's part of the problem is that if you look at the hits and misses that 2017 draft carries a lot of weight they've been fine otherwise but i don't think they've been substantially better at drafting than a lot of the other teams around the league i think that's kind of a misnomer all right next one here for you was the cincinnati Bengals. i don't know why they're on your list and i'm very curious to hear why Okay, so it's the what? What are you? What are you? So, what are the Cincinnati Bengals? Are they a Super Bowl contender? Yes, no. Robert Mays. 
I you should be able to answer that question pretty quick if we're I, just talking like we know what the Bengals are. I think the Bengals are a good team that, in my opinion, is potentially still one step further down from the best teams in the AFC. I think that they got hot at the right time last year, but I still think that if I were power ranking the AFC teams, they would maybe not even be in the top four or five. Okay, so you are a uh, fringe top contender in the AFC coming off of a huge... Uh, playoff run you made it to the Super Bowl you have the single best thing the ace of spades in the world of the NFL which is a rookie contract quarterback given current changes to the world you also have like the ace of hearts the second best card which is a rookie contract star wide receiver because you are saving absurd money in uh, the nucleus that pretty much every team needs if they want to be able to make a playoff run it's turbo time, baby. Let's sign some players. Here we go. And I know they're the Bengals. I understand that the Bengals don't do that. However, it was like cute and funny when it was Carson Palmer and some wild card rounds. If the, if Burrow Chase doesn't make you get serious, nothing's gonna make you get serious now, right? Like, like okay, I agree that you probably are gonna have to pay Jesse Bates to keep him. However. We are in keep good players in the building mode because we have the cash to do that because Burrow and Chase aren't going to cost Jack for a couple seasons. There is, there, I, I cannot think of a better window for building a Super Bowl roster other than uh, rookie contract Mahomes over the last, what, seven years than what the Bengals have right now? This, this should not, the, the fact that we're doing like the cute little Bengals thing, they're not spending money. That is, absurd that 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 this team is like like i said like you know you shouldn't be trying to figure out whether or not to sign jesse bates you should be like and dominican sue in the building anthony bar signed with the cowboys he should have been there two months ago you it is it is give veterans a one-year deal time it is figure out who we can plug and chug time it is can we get a third star get a third star this is this is the moment and if you're not going to embrace this moment you are never going to get serious about winning a super bowl and that sucks that is lame i don't like that only 31 teams in the league are trying to win and then also this team that i watched in la almost beat the rams is just like yeah we'll vibe we might build a facility now that's embarrassing that's frustrating and and it makes me like i i guess i understand what the Bengals are because this is what they've decided to be but i don't understand how it's excusable i don't understand how they've retained this even after the season they had last year it's extremely frustrating so all right so looking at this right now so the Bengals this year, I, I understand your frustration. If you look at the underlying numbers, I think you have a right to be frustrated. So cash spending this season, my boys, $159 million, 32nd in the NFL, Go Chicago Bears, Bears. Bear down. Falcons, $178 million. Again, two for two, teams that absolutely make sense based on where they are in their build. Giants, $205 million. Again, we're right in the same on mold it. here. Feels great. The Cowboys... Are 29th. I almost have the Cowboys on my list. The Cowboys are 29th. And if you look at the roster right now, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. We got Jalen Tolbert and I, I I don't know who else playing receiver for the Cowboys right now. The Cowboys are up against the cap. And I, I think the Patriots are also down here on this list. And there's a reason for that. A lot of these teams are kind of strapped when it comes to spending money. So that's not necessarily surprising based on where the Cowboys are in their trajectory. The Bengals are 28th. Bengals are spending $210 million in cash this year. Let's go to the other side of this, okay? Teams with that we also consider all in. Rams are number one. Bills are number two. Saints are number three. The Jags and Jets are four and five, which there's a reason for that. The Bucks are also in the top ten. Packers, Browns, Chargers. The Chargers are the team 
that I think is in the most similar situation to the situation that the Bengals are in right now. They have a guy who is a top five-ish quarterback on a rookie deal, and the Chargers said, fuck it. This is it. Like, this is it. Let's go for it. In and the face the of the AFC West, that. too, where yeah. everybody is like, here we go. The Chargers are like, yeah, also here we go, and you guys are paying Carr, Russell Wilson, and Patrick Mahomes. We're not. So the Bengals over the last five-ish years, in 2020, they spent a bunch of cash. They spent a lot of money on free agents. That was the year they tried. They signed uh, – Trey Waynes with to, to a huge contract. 2021, they didn't spend as much. They spent about 196 million, which you know isn't up near the top of the league, but it's not one of the bottom five figures in the league. So I think over the last couple of years, they've kind of shed that reputation. But it's hard to look at how modest some of the moves they made this offseason were, even if they were at the right positions, and not think they could have put the pedal to the floor a little bit more than they did. I understand that, and I don't disagree with you. But I still think I understand what they are roster-wise, top to bottom. I, I guess that your frustration is that you wanted them to be one of those teams at the top, and they just weren't. Yeah, like when when I when I think about like what are you like, I think about team identity. There's a couple of different yeah. ways that goes. There's like you know what are you going to be schematically? Like we talked about that a lot with the Cardinals. Like they're going to change stuff you know offensively. The Steelers, we talked about that a little bit. The Patriots, the Bengals. I understand what they are schematically. I understand who's going to throw the ball, who's going to run the ball, how they're going to run it, how they're going to throw it. That's how, how I was thinking it. about it. Yeah, exactly. So this was a little bit of like a you know, and I probably got too angry about the Bengals too quickly and should have maybe you know been a good podcaster and kind of primed this a little bit more. But it's not. It's less about you know, uh, who are you schematically? And it's more about like, who are you uh, organizationally? This, again, it it is not like, wow, the Bengals had a good season and they should probably be building better. Because that's been true before and like, it still has been annoying, but it's been a little bit excusable. There, again, like I cannot think of a better foundation. I cannot think of a better bedrock of a base for building a contender than what they have right now. The the one thing that I, I forgot in my tirade is, on top of everything, on top of like how good they are financially and how good they are schematically talent-wise, they're also cool. This is extremely important. Like the Bengals, like like Zach Taylor. Yeah, I don't know if Zach Taylor's cool. Cincinnati. I don't know if Cincinnati's cool. It's not you, getting free agents in the building is hard. We don't talk enough about how the Rams benefit from being where they are geographically in terms of getting guys there. Not easy to get as many guys Cincinnati, Ohio. Sorry, Cincinnati, but this is reality. I don't. I think that shit is overstated. I honestly think that Joe Burrow is a better selling point than right. Name your cool city that you would that, potentially that's, live that, in. That's exactly the point. We we talk about the cities, and I do think it matters. But way, way, way more important is that dude because again, like. I did not think Burrow was going to be this good in the pros, and I did not think he was going to be good in this way. And it simply boils down to Burrow is awesome. Like the 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 way they get the deep ball working is exclusively predicated on the idea of Burrow just being that guy. Capital T, capital G, the whatever the confidence, the gumption, the fearlessness, the bounce back, whatever it is coded into that dude's brain, it is sick. Folks want to play with that. All you got to do is just give them money the way literally everybody else is in wood in your context. And the fact that they aren't is to me a, a it's a uh, disassociation between what their team identity is and what it actually should be. So it's hard for me to figure out what the Bengals are because if like I, I asked you in the beginning, are they a Super Bowl contender? It's very, very tricky for me as an analyst to look at a team that played in the Super Bowl last year, look at their offseason moves, look at their roster and go, no, they aren't when literally seven months ago they were. That's what makes them like tricky to, to, to understand and parse out. 
Yeah, I mean, I think they could have thrown a little bit more money around, but I do think the moves, when you look at them in totality, all make sense to me. The, the guys that they, not necessarily the guys they went after, but going after the offensive line, bolstering that, and even what they did in the draft. Saying like, all right, well, let's get a little bit more flexibility in the back end. What does Dax Hill allow us to do, even in a post-Jesse Bates world, but even with Jesse Bates, how does he become a really flexible piece? Going to get another corner and having that be the area where they really drilled down. They drafted another interior defensive lineman. They get Joseph Osai back this year, who looked really good in camp last season. I still think this team is going to be or can be pretty darn good, but I understand your frustration, especially when you compare it to the way that some of the other teams at the top of the league or that we think are true Super Bowl contenders operated this offseason. Yeah. How do you, just for me, right, it's how do you not, over the course of the next few months, experience a 10-7 and Bengals team that makes the wild card round that loses the division to the the Ravens and maybe wins one playoff game and you know whatever falls out of the divisional round let's say how do you not experience that in the context of the offseason the money that they spent the moves they could have made with Burrow and Chase as the nucleus and not feel disappointed it's not fair to expect a team to make the Super Bowl every year I totally understand that but if you want to feel like they're trying to you want to feel like they're doing everything they can to make the Super Bowl every and if this team lands where we expect them to land I I I don't understand. You can feel anything but deflated over the the way that they decided to get there. All right, I understand that. I'm less harsh on them than I think that you are, but I get where you're coming from. All right, there are a couple more teams we could hit. I feel like the Seahawks are probably a part of this conversation. The Texans are definitely a part of this conversation. But with the Texans, I think it just would have been a 10-second segment where we both yeah. just shrugged. So like, I don't hey, know how much there is to get into. Davis there. Mills is excusable. Uh, Let's go, Houston. <laughs> They are such a weird team. Larry Matunzel is a $35 million cap hit next year. I don't really understand what the Seahawks are. Like them committing to some of these guys and paying people, but they, they spent a ton of money this offseason, but I have no idea where they're going. So I think there are a couple different teams we can mention here. As, as just a precursor, we are going to talk about all of these teams a lot before this season starts. We're doing division previews. We're digging into all of this stuff. So do not worry. Texans Davis Mills heads you will get your conversation here before we kick off week one all right Ben thank you very much my friend I really really appreciate you taking the time to do this it's always good to catch up with you uh we will do it again hopefully very soon absolutely baby Hall of Fame game was uh earlier it was last week I guess smells like football yeah I'm uh, not talking about that <laughs> we have a no Hall of Fame game rule on this podcast and extremely I awkward because I it. literally just saw that Nate was on Mike Golick show for DraftKings and like the first bullet point of the description is watching the Hall of Fame game. Yep, that's, he betrayed that, that's, you. A, that's a choice that Nate can make. That It's not a choice that I'm going to be making. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Please rate and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. I'd very much appreciate that. Please subscribe to The Athletic, theathletic.com slash football show. I'm telling you, even to prepare for this, all of the training camp updates you can get from our writers. They are there every single day. The Nuggets figuring out how this Steelers quarterback battle is unfolding. Reading Mark Caboli is a very good way to keep a finger on that pulse. If you're a Steelers fan and do not have an athletic subscription, I highly encourage you to get one. If you're a fan of any team, we have so many people that are plugged in and giving you actionable information on this kind of stuff. Really, really recommend that you guys go get one. We will be back later this week. Got a lot of fun stuff coming your way. Looking forward to it. In the meantime, appreciate you guys listening. We'll talk to you soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.